Radio Influence. Podcasting redefined. Welcome back to the Lawfather Podcast. As usual, we are here in the Lawfather HQ podcast room and our little studio that we have uh, here in the office. And as I've mentioned for the last couple weeks, we've talked about talking about Stand Your Ground, okay? And we're going to do it today. Uh, I I reached out to uh, Rep. uh, Michelle Rayner, who's out of uh, St. Pete, South St. Pete, down to Manatee and Sarasota. I got no response. So uh, the reason why I had reached out to her was that she's part of sponsoring of a bill that is looking at repealing Stand Your Ground. Okay, and uh, I think it's an important topic to look at. It comes up in the news every once in a while because the the cases tend to be high profile. Okay, um, it's just it's one of those topics where we hear about the high profile cases, and I think those are looked at as being the norm. That hey, that is what stand your ground is, right? Those are the cases, but I think it, what gets lost in the mix is. There's several smaller cases that come through. And I think if you look at the body of all of the cases that deal with Stand Your Ground, I I think you would see a much different aspect to it than if you just focus on these high-profile cases. And on some levels, I think that some of these high-profile cases become the outliers. And I think you are in a dangerous place when you are looking at making laws based on the outlier cases, right? Because in these outliers, are you just dealing with a bad person, a bad actor, if you will, right? Someone who who doesn't truly know what they're doing. Maybe someone who really truly shouldn't own a firearm, right? Or should be better trained in the use of a firearm, okay? So let's look at this for a second and let's keep a couple things in mind all right you're responsible for your own actions so just because you think you can hide behind stand your ground you are ultimately responsible for everything that you do all right and it's something that when i was working as a deputy that was really driven home to us right you're responsible for every round you put down range right you're responsible for the consequences of Every time you pull that gun, right? And every time you pull that gun, it should be because your life is threatened or somebody else's life is threatened, okay? And by by their life threatened, I mean great bodily harm or death, okay? That's That's what we're looking at, right? And you are ultimately responsible for what happens when you pull that trigger, right? You're ultimately responsible for hitting your target. You're ultimately responsible for that target actually being a legitimate target, okay? And not that you made a mistake. You alone, the person holding the gun and pulling the trigger, are ultimately responsible for everything that happens the moment you pull that trigger, okay? And and I think that's a really, really important piece to look at. And remember, you should only pull that gun if your life or somebody else's life is in grave danger. All right? 
really, really very important. Okay. And I think even more so important for those non-law enforcement concealed carry, right? Uh, look, I can tell you, I have been carrying concealed firearms since I was a deputy. I started in 2006. Okay. And part of our policies and procedures said, if you were off duty, you were concealed carrying a firearm. Okay. So you had to do. It's something that I just got used to. It's something that I still do right, wrong, or indifferent. This isn't about gun control or anything else. Okay. But on another level, I was properly trained in the use of firearms, right? I have been carrying firearms now far longer than I have been a deputy. And I can tell you the amount of times that I have pulled my gun when I've been concealed carrying. You know how many times? Zero. Zero times since 2006. Okay. Now, much different than the days of, of when I was a deputy and we were working and there were on-duty reasons too, okay? Very, very different, okay? But we're talking about stand your ground and we're talking about a concealed carry situation, right? But let's also look at stand your ground doesn't just have to do with somebody being shot, doesn't just have to do with somebody dying in the end, okay? Stand your ground can have to do with, hey, I was, I felt threatened by this guy over here, right? And so guess what? We got in a fight and I defended myself. Nobody died, but I defended myself. Maybe somebody got hurt, right? Maybe somebody had injuries, but they're not dead. Maybe I used my fist. Maybe I used my feet. Maybe I used knees, elbows, right? It doesn't have to be with a weapon, and it doesn't have to end in death. And I think that's a, a really important thing to look at and something that doesn't get considered when we look at changing this law, okay? And at its core, stand your ground is self-defense. And at its core, it's just saying that you don't have to retreat. Now, in some states, you have to go somewhere else. You have to do what's called retreat. And, and you don't have to in Florida. Stand your ground says that if there is a danger and you're lawfully where you are supposed to be, you do not have to retreat. So uh, let's look at this, okay? And it is, I'm going to read the statute for you so that you have a, an understanding. And it's stat, Florida State Statute 776.012. And there's two subsections to it. There's one and there's two. One deals with non-lethal, non-deadly, Okay, and subsection two deals with a, a deadly force situation. So subsection one, or the, the statute is titled use of use or threatened use of force in defense of a person. All right. And, and what we come down to if we flip that into what use or threatened use of force is, to put it in a legal term, battery is essentially the use of force, assault is the threatened use of force. Now, those of you who are in Florida who are from New York, okay, New York having to be different, and look, I'm not licensed to practice in New York, so this is not an inner detail of New York law and an analysis on it, but assault and battery are flipped in New York. So those of you who are from New York listening and going, I oh, don't know what he's talking about because assault means you hit somebody and battery means you didn't hit somebody. Well, it's 
it, New York, for all I, from what I know, New York is the only state <laughs> that has those flipped. So battery is the use of force in this sense. Assault is the threatened use of force. Now, those aren't the actual definitions, but for this purpose, it works. Okay. Um, subsection one is a person is justified in using or threatening to use force except deadly force against another when and to the extent that the person reasonably believes that such conduct is necessary to defend himself or herself or another against the other's imminent use of unlawful for force. A person who uses or threatens to use force in accordance with this subsection does not have a duty to retreat before using or threatening to use such force. All right. Subsection two, basically the same, except for it deals with the use of deadly force. So a person is justified in using or threatening to use deadly force if he or she reasonably believes that using or threatening to use such force is necessary to prevent imminent death or great bodily harm to himself or herself or another or to prevent the imminent commission of a forcible felony. Okay, uh, so think about it like this, a forcible felony, uh, a burglary uh, is a forcible felony, um, uh, sexual assault is a forcible felony. Okay, so um, th those are some things that may fall out of the realm of, hey, uh, I was getting in a fight type of thing. A person who uses or threatens to use deadly force in accordance with this subsection does not have a duty to retreat and has the right to stand his or her ground if the person using or threatening to use the deadly force is not engaged in a criminal activity and is in a place where he or she has a right to be. Think about that for just one second. Let's break that down. You are breaking into somebody's house, let's say. You have a gun. Homeowner shoots you, right? You shoot back at homeowner. You, as the burglar, can't go, hey, Self-defense, stand your ground. I was defending myself because that homeowner was shooting at me. All right, you were engaged in criminal activity and you were not in a place that you lawfully had a right to be. All right, so that's what that is. All right, and, and that is the first part of stand your ground. And, and all it really comes down to is it's self-defense. Okay, that's what this is. It has to do with self-defense. And... We then go down to statute 776.032, and that's where the immunity is discussed. This is, this is how you proceed through stand your ground, all right? And a, a person who uses or threatens force or threatens to use force as permitted in the state statute that I mentioned, and there's other two statutes that are listed they all essentially say the same thing for our for all intents and purposes, okay, without getting into an hours and hours long discussion on all of the statutes, okay, um, that they're justified in such conduct and they're immune from, from criminal prosecution and civil action for the use of that force, okay, and against everybody. So the heirs of the person whom the force was used or threatened, um, unless it's against a law enforcement officer. So you can't use it as a get-out-of-jail-free card, if you will, if uh, you use it to attack a cop. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't work for those situations. As an aside, if you get stopped and the cop tells you to do something, even if the cop is dead wrong, do it, okay? We've seen far too many things in this country, far too many instances. And yeah, you may be right. I may see some of these things and I go, yeah, the officer was wrong. Okay, but you know what? The, the law says you can't fight 
fight the officer physically. Fight the officer in court. Hire a lawyer, okay? Hire a lawyer to take that action, okay? There's a saying, go live to fight another day. Kind of falls in that same category, okay? Look, I'm not defending any law enforcement actions that were that have been improper for use of force or anything like that. All I'm saying is, you know, use some common sense in some times, okay? Yeah, maybe the officer's wrong, but but don't be a statistic. Hire a lawyer. That's what we're here for, okay? It really is. Um, you know, and I don't know. It's not on the sign behind me, but one of the things that we use with the law father, right, and you see the guy running around with the pen, the little uh, cartoon character. Well, the the idea of that came up with, the, the pen is mightier than the sword, okay? And, and it, it is. So that's just a little aside there. But uh, it, it has to do with immunity. You, you can't prosecute the person. Uh, and if successful, then you can't sue the person civilly, all right? Now, what it goes on to say is a law enforcement agency may use standard procedures for investigating the use or threatened use of force, but the agency may not arrest the person for using or threatening to use force unless it determines that there is probable cause that the force that was used was threatened or unlawful. All right. So the person goes, Hey, yeah, I was defending myself. Hey, you know what? Law enforcement is going to investigate it regardless. This is just saying that that law enforcement, what standard they have to use is to show that, that there was probable cause that the force used was unlawful. Okay? So it's not giving you carte blanche to just go shoot people. All right? And, and I, I think that that's one of the pieces. If you look at the opposition to stand your ground, it's really pitched as a, hey, carte blanche, go shoot people. Go do it. Yeah, it's okay because the law allows you to. I don't get that out of it. All right? Um, it, it deals with then the court shall award a, t- a reasonable attorney fees, court cost compensation uh, for these uh, for these actions um, by the defendant. So uh, if you're arrested for it improperly, um, you can bring a civil action. And if the person is found to be immune, so um, that's how that works. How it works in real life, any stage in the criminal process, this can be brought up. Okay, so law enforcement can choose to arrest or to not arrest based on this. The state attorney can choose to drop a case or keep a case based on stand your ground. The judge can determine to keep a case or dismiss a case based on stand your ground. All right. Now, this was the big change in 2020. It's subsection four. And in 2020, uh, the burden was flipped. And what the burden is, is it's saying who has to prove the case first? Okay, uh, so in a, in a criminal sense, in a regular criminal trial, the state has to prove their case, right? We all, beyond every reasonable doubt, right? We, we all have heard that on TV, uh, seen it in movies, right? Beyond every reasonable doubt, well, it's up to the state. So the reality in a trial, the state could go up and the defense could never bring a case, right? Because maybe the state didn't prove what they needed to prove. All right. So that's the burden. The burden is on the state. Well, in 2020, well, put it like this prior to 2020. Okay. The burden was on the defendant in a stand your ground motion to prove that, that they were defending themselves. Okay. 
In 2020, that flipped and it went back on the state. Once a defendant has proved what's called a prima facie claim of self-defense, okay, and, and it's just a, just a touch, right? Just a hair, just, just the ability to reasonably and potentially say, I was defending myself. That is what a prima facie case is, okay, or prima facie claim. Then it flips to the state. The state now has to prove that what was done was not self-defense, okay? That's, that's what that is. So that is what the law says. Those are the statutes that are on the books right now. And that is what's looking at being changed. Now, why is the law father positioned, right, to talk about these things and have an opinion on it? Well, let's look at this. I spent six years in law enforcement, and I've spent almost eight years as an attorney, all right? In that time frame, I've actually argued two stand-your-ground cases, all right? Uh, one of them was based on an assault, or excuse me, based on a battery. That was not a shooting, all right? The other one was based on a shooting, all right? And we're going to talk about those, but I want to look at the proposed changes. So we, we have taken a pretty deep dive look into what the law says and how it's worded now. And to me, it's not bad in the way it's worded now. Here's a case study that was used by the opposition to, to repeal this law. And, you know, this has been going on, I think, since Florida put this law into place. And look, I, you know, how it got here is probably beyond the scope from what I was able to uncover it sounds like the NRA had at least pushed or lobbied for it. How much impact the NRA truly had, I don't know. Uh, and I think it's beyond right now, for all intents and purposes, the legal discussion on it. But the opposition says, hey, this law is bad. And it's one of those things that has become a racial issue. Okay, The opposition would make you believe that every standard ground case is a white guy shooting a black guy. And it's just not. I can tell you 100% of the standard ground cases that I've done have been a white guy on a white guy. Okay? So, you know, to, to follow that is, I think, a little misguided. Now, have the more high-profile ones that we've seen fall into that category? Yes. Is there a reason behind that? I don't know. And quite frankly, from the legal standpoint, I guess it doesn't, it's immaterial, right? And we talk about materiality and, and you know, what, what we need to talk about, right? And, and the law is blind, if you will. Uh, so when I do an analysis, I'm not concerned about that, right? The legal analysis is taken in a vacuum. We put blinders on and go, what are the facts, who did what? I don't care who that person is, where they're from, or anything else. Person A did one thing. Person B did another thing. How does that play out with what we know about case law and what we know about the law in general? Okay. So the case study used by the opposition, I pulled this uh, from a site that uh, Rep. Rayner had listed in her Instagram profile. And uh, it said, in Tallahassee, a man was involved in a shootout in which one person was shot and killed. 
though the man had a history of violence, including six accusations of battery. Prosecutors declined to pursue a murder conviction after he claimed stand your ground. Instead, they negotiated a guilty plea to carrying a gun unlawfully, resulting in an eight-year prison sentence. Now, this is meant to be the poster child, if you will, for why stand your ground should be abolished or repealed, right? And that maybe we go to a self-defense law that says you have a duty to find a safe space before resorting to using force, okay? But is this all about stand your ground? Can you take this paragraph? And look, I took the whole quote. I took the whole paragraph used. This was, and I can't remember the website. I probably should have put it in, right? Um, Kind of citing my work, if you will, like you would in in a law school paper. But I took the whole blurb of what this, of what was used. And here's, I think, what's missing. And here's the point, right? What evidence did the state have? Just because, was this result, was this eight-year prison sentence the result of him claiming, of the defendant claiming stand your ground? Or was it the result of the state prosecutors not having enough evidence, right? Would you rather have the state go to trial and not have enough evidence to convict somebody and have that person walk free? Or would you rather put that person in prison for eight years and a guarantee of putting that person in prison for eight years with a charge that you either A, know you can prove, or B, that the defendant will accept? All right? So all I'm saying is, there's an alternative reason to why this particular case study ended like that. All right? It doesn't necessarily have to do with stand your ground. Right? Because what this leaves out is, hey, did they run a stand your ground motion and the judge deny it? Right? That's entirely possible. But it's left out of here. And if that's the case, then, you know, maybe this eight-year prison sentence Makes sense, right? Because maybe based on the facts, and and look, it happens, right? Witnesses didn't want to testify. It happened two years ago, right? And and I don't know if this happened two years prior, but just based on, on my experience in the criminal justice system, it takes time for these cases to get to trial. Witness stories change over time. It's not that they change. They just don't get better over time. Right, so if you have a, a, a version of the events that's rocky to begin with, right, and, and look, anytime you're in these situations, it's high pressure, it's very intense, right, and, and it's it's really tough to recall these situations right after they happen. How do I know this? Because I've been in extremely intense situations and had to piece together what happened, right, because. If you're doing something and you're in the middle of a fight or, or, you know, a really bad situation in law enforcement, you don't get to write that report as it's going on, right? This was prior to the time of having body cams. So you didn't have a video to go back to and go, oh gosh, what happened here, right? You had your memory and what you observed and what you perceived. And then you had to go put that down on paper and you weren't doing it right afterwards because by and large, there were other things going on 
right? So you had to get to the person, get the person to jail. You had to get the person to the hospital and you had to watch that person. And, and you couldn't sit and write a report while you're watching them because, hey, that person was already somewhat of a risk prior to. So you can't take your eyes off of him to sit and write a report, right? So then you got to wait for him to be cleared to then go to the jail and spend another two hours, right? Between driving to the jail, going through booking, doing all that process, okay? And then write your report. And you're trying to piece these things together, right? So do these things get better over time? No, they don't. It's just not a reality. And we see that in the personal injury side too, right? When we look at witnesses and witness statements and depositions, testimony doesn't get better over time. It just doesn't. So uh, that's what that is. And now I want to take a look at, at another case big here in Tampa. Okay. Um, it was the Draja, Draca case. I'm not exactly sure how he pronounces his name. Um, and I believe this was a white man and a black man. Now, now look, I'm very familiar with that convenience store that that happened at that parking lot and, and the neighborhood that that happened in. Uh, I worked in that neighborhood. I had, um, uh, when I was working midnights, one of my biggest cases ever. It ended up being uh, a federally indicted case uh, that happened in that parking lot. It started out as a domestic violence call and the guy fleeing the scene of the domestic violence and he pulled into that parking lot. Uh, really, really bad dude. Could have ended really badly. Luckily for all of us, uh, it ended uh, it ended peacefully. Okay. Um, had another one there where a guy was stealing mopeds and we got in a foot chase um, back behind that convenience store. All right. And luckily I had the same deputy with me both times, uh, really seasoned, really knew what he was doing, knew the area very well. Uh, Both of those, I was brand new, like brand, brand new, like just got out of field training for like a couple weeks, brand new. (laughs) So um, really familiar with that area. It's not a good area. Okay. It's just not, there's, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of calls in that area. A lot of, a lot of things. Okay. But does, does that justify the end result? No, it's not. It it doesn't. Okay. But just setting the scene for you, if you will. Okay. Now what happened here? The sheriff's office said, no, we're not making an arrest because of stand your ground. Okay, fine. Right. The prosecutor then brought charges. Now we look at it and we go, well, they're doing it because it stands your ground. Maybe, maybe, but did you know that this kind of thing happens all the time, right? Did you know that, that there are a significant amount of times that law enforcement actually doesn't make an arrest right away and they gather more evidence and they turn that evidence over to the state attorney and the state attorney makes the decision whether or not to issue a warrant or to go to a judge to issue a warrant and arrest the person happens all the time, Right. Why is that? Why could that be? Well, it's like this. The standard to arrest somebody is probable cause. Okay? Now, look, we're, we're talking about essentially terms of art. What does probable cause mean? Right? Uh, it means you probably did what we think you did. Okay? It brought down to its lowest common form factor. That's what that is. All right? It is a lower standard than beyond reasonable doubt, right? So the standard to arrest somebody is lower than the criminal standard to convict somebody, all right? And that's, I think, where you see some of these things, right? Especially on a high-profile case that there's this, you know, 
there's this not immediate need to make an arrest, right? There's this need to gather the evidence, to get the witness statements, to figure out what you have, and then go, hey, state attorney, is this enough? Do you feel like this is enough for you to get a conviction? Okay, because there is a difference. Probable cause is a lower standard than reasonable doubt. Okay, keep that in mind. And I, I would, I would really think that that is why you saw that interplay, right? Now, no one's going to come out and say that 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 is why, right? But it happens every day, right? I've done it. It's called the direct file. Take, you write it up, send it off to the state attorney, because. Maybe there's some holes. Maybe it's not ironclad in terms of your probable cause. Or maybe you feel like, yeah, maybe I have probable cause, right? But the state's likely to drop it. Put the ball in the state's court, which is what happened here. And guess what? The prosecutor brought manslaughter charges. And he was convicted, right? So we have this big outcry. Stand your ground. It lets people walk free right? Maybe the system worked in this situation. Maybe it did. To me, it feels like it worked. It looked like it worked, okay? So let's look at at what Rep. Rayner has had to say in regards to looking at repealing the law. And, and look, I, I reached out to her directly and offered her the opportunity to come on and talk about it. I, I really did want to have a back and forth discussion on it, um, but I'm left with using uh, the words that she has put on Instagram, uh, and that's fine. I'm taking direct quotes. So the next best thing to having somebody here with me and having a back and forth is using their direct quotes. And this is the quote it puts offenders above the law and prohibits law enforcement from making an arrest or are prosecutors from charging a person claiming self defense. I want Floridians to know that no one is above the law, and we want to make sure that is reflected through legislation. Okay. That's her rationale for repealing the law. All right. Now, if she was here, I'd ask her what her background is. So I did a little bit of digging. Uh, looked like she worked for Ben Crump before becoming a, a state representative, and they are a civil liberties-type law firm. I believe they're out of uh, St. Pete. All right not criminal law. And I think I think this really speaks to not having done it, not having done criminal law, okay? Not having a, a true understanding of how this works. Does this really handcuff, does Stand Your Ground really handcuff prosecutors from charging a person? No, it doesn't. It just doesn't, okay? It, it, it takes it and it forces it through the court process and it gives you the ways to do it, right? Now, look, if it's cut and dry, does the law allow for law enforcement to make a decision? Yeah, it does, right? It absolutely does. If it's cut and dry and law enforcement still thinks, hey, you know what? I, I think we should arrest the person. Does it give the state, the prosecutors, the opportunity to dismiss a case, it does, okay? Absolutely does, because guess what? Law enforcement might not get it right, right? Hey, the state prosecutors might not get it right, but it also gives the judges and the defense lawyers involved the opportunity to look at getting it right, okay? 
It just does. It, it's not this automatic, right? It, it is not, to me, this is not a racial thing. This is a state statute that is very, very clear, okay? And from some, from some instances, it seems to work, right? Is anything we do ever going to work 100% of the time? No, it's not. But are we better off being wrong and letting somebody go free than being wrong and putting somebody in prison? Think about that for a second. Because if you repeal the standard ground and change the standard on it, if you're wrong, okay, if the wrong decision is made, that wrong means somebody's going to prison. And our criminal justice system is based on we would rather be wrong and set somebody free. Now, look, I don't want to get into the whole there have been lots of cases that death row inmates have been set free and that DNA has set people free. Yeah, okay. Look, there there has been a long time uh, of cases and people who are still alive prior to DNA and things setting people free, okay? So let's put those aside because that's a, that's an entirely different thing because we're that's dealing with a science that's newer in the big realm of things it's newer okay so with the the basis of the criminal justice system says and the reason why it's you have to convict somebody beyond every reasonable doubt right and you have to have a jury that that agrees with that is this we would rather be wrong and set somebody free than to be wrong and send somebody to prison, right? And this, this statement by Rep. Rayner would, would tend to lead you to believe that this is a free pass. This lets everybody free, right? Uh, look, everybody, I don't want to say everybody. I don't want to make that big of an assumption, okay? The Zimmerman trial, Zimmerman and Trayvon Martin, okay? That gets brought up as the poster child for Stand Your Ground. I don't think that is the poster child for Stand Your Ground. I just don't. Do I think that Zimmerman was wrong? Yeah, I do, okay? Um, do I know enough about the evidence that they had to make a determination or to give an opinion as to whether or not him going free was the right move? I don't. Okay, and I'm not going to go back and and analyze that. I think that case is an outlier. Um, I think that that Zimmerman should not have pulled a gun in that situation. I don't see the necessity for it, right? And I think that may come down to training. Is this a? It, was he a bad guy? Was he racist? I don't know. I don't know him. Okay. Did he fear for his life? Maybe. Was it justified? Doesn't look like it. Okay, um, you know, but do we change laws based on the outliers, no matter how bad the ending is, right? And look, it's a tragic ending. It really is, okay? You're never going to bring him back, right? You're never going to bring Trayvon Martin back. His parents are never going to have their kid. I get that. I do, right? But do you change laws based on an outlier bad ending. I just don't think so because there's a bigger, bigger picture there, okay? So that's what I look at from that perspective.
All right. So let's look because, as I mentioned, I've done stand your ground before. I have argued stand your ground motions in court. All right. I've done it twice. One was on a shooting case and one was on a non-shooting case. Right. So I can tell you from actual experience of doing it, they're not easy. They're some of the longest motions that I have ever written in my entire career of litigating cases. All right. Not just criminal cases, but personal injury cases also. Right. Those two motions are truly, to this day, some of the longest motions I've ever written. All right. Here's the facts for one of them. Guys on a go-kart track. Yeah, I know. Go-karts. It's <laughs> That's really where it gets kind of weird. Um, and not like Grand Prix of Tampa go-karts, uh, but there is actually this uh, circuit, if you will, of they're not professional. We'll call it semi-professional adult go-kart races. They actually travel around Florida and they go to go-kart tracks and they have these big souped-up go-karts. All right, he's going around the track, he's racing somebody, and they get into a little bumping match in the cars, right? Leads to them both spinning out, they get out of the cars, right? And they get into a little altercation, right? And, and that's that part's not necessarily exactly where the standard ground comes into play. So as they're getting in, into this altercation, now they both have helmets on, right? Because they're in these go-karts and they go decently fast. Well... They're lawfully where they're supposed to be. They're on the track. Now, are they supposed to get out of their cars? No, but is that breaking the law or is that violating a rule of the track? More violating a rule of the track, right? A guy jumps the fence, right? Guy turns out to be one of the guy's dads, right? Not my client's dad, the other guy. And he starts charging at, at my client, right? Well, stand your ground says you don't have to move. So he doesn't. He gets down in a football stance, right? Think about how a linebacker kind of sets himself and gets down. And, you know, instead of going forward to the guy, he just kind of braces himself for impact. Remember, he had a helmet on. Well, the guy ran straight into my client and broke his face, right? Because he ran into the helmet. Now, I don't know about you or me, but I'm not running face first into a guy with a helmet because I think that helmet's going to win every day of the week, Right? Now, from the outset, you go, man, hey, your client, he's just defending himself, right? He's got this guy. He doesn't know who he is. He's sprinting after him. And look, they're in a fenced-in area. He doesn't really have anywhere to go, right? And he doesn't necessarily see him coming the whole distance if he's running, okay? Because he hears somebody say something to turn around, and he turns around an instant before this guy is going to hit him, right? And we have witness testimony that says that. Right? So this isn't just a he said, she said, or he said, he said in this situation. right? This is actually eyewitness testimony that tells us that my client turned around at the last second. Well, filed a stand your ground motion on it, right? which is actually a motion for immunity is actually what it's titled. It's actually not titled stand your ground. right? Guess what? All of those facts, what do you think happened? We lost. The judge said, no. Not self-defense. No, it's not. Okay? I'm not granting your motion for immunity. We're going to have to go to trial. Well, guess what? We go to trial. Jury finds him not guilty. Okay? So, different standard though, right? And, and this was 
prior to 2020. So this was the old standard. This was, we had the burden. We had to show, right? We as a defense had to show that that stand your ground applied and that he was acting in self-defense, right? So different then. Would that have been different based on the 2020 standard? Maybe, maybe not, okay? Not really sure. So, you know, it, I, I don't think in that particular situation, I don't think anything was going to change, right? I think that was going to stand as is. I, my personal opinion, I think that judge was going to make us go to trial regardless. So, um, but that was that one. Now let's look at one where we see more typically, right? Where what comes up in the news are these shooting cases that are stand your ground, right? So let's look at this one. I have a client, finds a, had found a cell phone, okay? Goes to return the cell phone to the owner, goes to their house. There is no other eyewitness than the people involved, okay? A lot of alcohol involved on both sides, okay? As I sit here today telling you this story, I truly have no idea what happened. I really don't, okay? The only thing I know that happened is my client fired some rounds. The other side fired, fired some rounds, okay? And I know that my client got hit with some of these rounds, and I know nobody on the other side got hit with rounds. That is, those are the facts, okay? Ran a standard ground motion, right? Went through everything, used all the deposition testimony that we had, all, yes, we had witness testimony, but they were what, were, what we consider biased witnesses, okay? And what does a biased witness mean? It means it's somebody that has, is somehow involved with one side or the other, okay? And we just, we, we did have one unbiased witness, but that person didn't see anything, right? All they heard was the gunshots. They really didn't know anything else that happened before that or after that. So for all intents and purposes, no unbiased witnesses, okay? Rangers stand your ground, right? And this was under the 2020 burden. Guess what? We lost. I thought both of these motions were very, very good and were very, very strong at the time, okay? And we lost both of them. And in both of these instances, law enforcement made an arrest. State attorneys continued to prosecute despite bringing up and claiming self-defense under stand your ground, okay? Motions brought in front of the court with evidence presented. Guess what? None of those pieces found stand your ground, okay? So is it a carte blanche ability to go out there and shoot people? No, it's not, okay? Just isn't. What it is is you don't have to retreat to defend yourself. Your first step doesn't have to be to retreat. Okay. From a tactical standpoint, might it be best to retreat in some situations? Yes. Might you want to know fully what's going on in a situation before you pull out a gun? Yeah, you do. Okay. Should pulling out a gun be your last resort? Absolutely. Hands down. You can't undo that. Right. If you pull that trigger and you're wrong, you can't undo what happens after that, okay? Now, look, I'm not saying if a guy's pointing a gun at your face that you shouldn't take some action, okay? 
probably not going to be able to run away in that situation. But in every other situation, think about it. All this comes down to is common sense. And despite what the state legislators that say that they want to repeal stand your ground will lead you to believe, it is not, not carte blanche to go in and shoot people. And I don't think that the law as written is a racially motivated law. I just don't. I don't see it in here. I don't, from my own personal experience and having argued stand your ground, find that that has any difference whatsoever in the outcomes. Okay. Now, to take a look back in that Drakesha case that was here in Tampa Bay, okay, uh, is out of Clearwater, so Pinellas County, right? Guess what? The guy convicted was white, right? So to, to say that this doesn't work, that the system doesn't work because of X, Y, and Z, right? And, and not have anything to really back it up, I think is dangerous. To have people out there who have never done criminal law, who have never actually argued a stand your ground motion to step up and go, this law is bad because there are outliers, right? Because at the end of the day, there are bad people in the world. There are. There are bad people here in Tampa, right? Do we put every single one of them in prison? No, we probably miss some, okay? But do we keep good people who shouldn't be in prison out of prison more than we keep bad people out of prison? Yeah, probably, okay? Because remember, I'll leave you with this. The criminal justice system is set up that if we make a mistake, we make a mistake by keeping a bad person out of prison okay because the the bigger or grave mistake would be putting an innocent person in prison okay that is stand your ground for today there's the law father podcast please rate review and subscribe to the podcast check us out on social media and if you want to see the video on this it'll be up on youtube that is the show for today Right from Lawfather headquarters, Lawfather out. I'm Jerry Petuck, CEO of Radio Influence. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for downloading and subscribing to this podcast. There are a lot of people behind the scenes here at Radio Influence that work hard to keep you entertained day in and day out. If you'd like to get involved and advertise on this program, or you have some show ideas that you'd like to see us add to the Radio Influence family, please email us at contact at radioinfluence.com. We all have crazy schedules, so the fact that you took time out of your busy day to let us entertain you for a while means a lot. Without you, the listeners, we wouldn't exist. So thank you again for downloading and subscribing to this show. Don't forget to check out radioinfluence.com to see what other shows we also have to offer. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com.